Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Evan, and I work on staff here at the church. Uh, you will have to excuse me a little bit today. I was sick last week, and I'm just getting my voice back, so I may have some voice cracks during the sermon. I apologize for that. Um, but today, we're going to be continuing our series uh, through Genuine Follower. That's our sermon series that we are going to be doing over the next uh, about five more weeks, looking at how we can be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Now, over the, the next couple weeks, these are all of the different uh, topics that we're going to be discussing, what it looks like to be a genuine follower. And today, we're going to be discussing what it looks like to have an unwavering devotion to and the study of God's Word. But before we begin, let's open up with a word of prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, you are so good. Uh, your mercies are never-ending, Lord. As we continue through this sermon series, as we open up the word today here, God, I pray that it is you who is doing the, the talking, that it is your words here today and not my own, that where I might be inadequate, God, you are never. You are so perfect and wonderful, and you have provided such a wonderful work, your word, that we may be able to, to understand you better, that we may be able to grow in our faith each day. And I pray as we, we look into your scriptures, as we look into your word, Lord, that we will grow as a follower of Christ, that we will genuinely follow you in every single moment and every single day. So, Father, be with us now. If there's any sins in our hearts that may hinder us from receiving your truth today, Lord, may you, may you forgive those. May you allow us to, to hear your truth, to see you today. And it's in your most mighty and heavenly name that we pray. Amen. So what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? Each one of us is devoted to something. For some of us, that devotion may find the form of family. For others, it may be that our devotion to our jobs is the most important thing in our lives. What are we devoted to? Each one of us is devoted to something. And, 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 and when we look at this devotion, it's, it's this idea of what is internal becomes external. When we are devoted to Jesus... It comes out in different ways. Let's take a look at how this devotion can, can be seen by taking a look at the early church. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to just look at verses 42 through 47. Look at the early church um, example here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. If you have, There's Bibles in the room if you do not have them. Um, you can also use your phone, but it will be on the big screen. Uh, so if you have that, once you get there, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's holy word, and we will read from Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. When we look to the example of the early church, we see something uh, very, very poignant, that, that they were devoted to Jesus. They sought to live out this devotion by following him. They, they loved him. And their devotion, it was played out uh, in a few ways in their devotion to God's word, as well as fellowship and prayer. And, and just like um, I have a devotion towards my wife, uh, that I, I, can, I can live out this devotion by, by doing the chores at home or by taking the dog out at 1 a.m. when she's sick. I can live out that devotion to my wife by, by, by being devoted to do these things that, that, that I can help her with, that I can love her with. And so when we look at this example of the early church, we see that their devotion to Jesus was played out through their devotion to the Word of God, through their devotion to uh, ministering to people and loving others. And so just as they are devoted to learning from God's word, so should we. We should, we should be devoted to God's word. But what is God's word? Let's just start there. Let's start right at the beginning. What is God's word? Well, at that time of the early church, it was the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament scriptures. You know what they didn't have was the New Testament. But you know what they did have? The New Testament. You might say, wait, how, how does that work if they didn't have it, but they have it? How did they have both? Well, they were, they were hearing it firsthand. In this verse, it specifically says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The New Testament, it's written by the apostles or, or those in uh, pro- close proximity to the apostles. And that's a major factor in determining what was going to be in the New Testament when they decided the New Testament canon. That was one of the major factors that... It had to do with the apostolic authority. And so who were the apostles? Well, they were people who were set apart by Jesus. That would include the 12 disciples. Later, it would include Paul. Um, And Paul, he would go on to defend his uh, apostolic authority because he came about in a little bit of a different way than the disciples. But these apostles, they were devoted followers to Jesus. They, they, they had firsthand accounts of his life, his death, his resurrection. And they were set apart to bring the message of Jesus and the gospel to the world. In the early church, they devoted themselves to, to understanding that, to hear the teachings, to, to go out and do that. And that's exactly what we should be doing. But how do we do that today? How do you devote yourself to God's word? How do you devote yourself to the gospel message and to Christ in this way? And this is where we're going to get really practical today. Because as a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, we, we must understand that the reading, the studying, and the trusting of God's word is, is, is essential to our faith. That is absolutely essential to our faith. And, faith. and so this first way that we can be devoted to God's word is just simply by reading it. And I know that might sound simple, but how many of us in this room, if we're honest, put off reading the scriptures, put off our Bible reading on any given day? Instead, we take time out of our day to read our text messages, 
to go read through social media, sports, even take, some, take the time to look up all the celebrity gossip with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. You know, whatever that might be, you take, we take that time in our given day, and, and that's what we read instead of taking the time to read the scripture. We read about what we are devoted to. Now, it's not that all that other stuff is, is bad, but if we choose that over reading the scriptures, if we choose that over reading our Bibles, there's an issue. How else are we going to get to know God better? How else? The, the only way is through our reading of the scriptures. We cannot and will not have a close relationship of Jesus, with Jesus if we are not in our Bibles on a regular basis. We see an example of this in the Old Testament. Throughout the time of the kings, there were those kings who were faithful. They faithfully followed after God. They read the scriptures. They, 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 they followed God's commandments in all things. However, more often, we see the picture of these evil kings who would set the word of God aside, who, who they, 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 they took the things of God, threw it out, and rather, they, they focused on idol worship, sexual promiscuity, other evil things. And and for that reason, the people of Israel and the people of Judah ended up being taken into exile. They went into this exile, and, and they were there. They were separated. And eventually, the people, they would return to the land, and God calls this man named Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, to, to go and in, in, in to, to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And after these walls were finished, the people returned, and what was the first thing that they did? They, they, they gathered together to read the scriptures. Listen to what uh, Nehemiah 8 says here. And you have to excuse me with all of these names, but it says this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly and both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women who were, who, and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah. And on his right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malachaj, Hashem, Habadan, Zechariah, and Mashalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord and the great, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Benai, Sharabi, Jamin, Akab, Shabaitha, Hobadiah, Messiah, Kalati, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Haliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood what was being read. 
And so we look at this passage. We, we see what's kind of happening here. It, the, the people, they're reading these scriptures from early morning all the way up until midday. That's all they're doing is reading the scriptures. They took the time to read through the word in order to understand it. And for those who didn't understand it, the Levites, all those, the, the, the second group of people, they took the time to help those who didn't understand it so that all might see what is being said, what is being spoke of here. They took the time to read through the word in order to understand the things of God. Now this passage, it's, it's not a command that when the Bible is read in church, we, we all have to stand to our feet. We do that out of reverence, but we can simply be standing on our feet and still be dishonoring to God by not actually listening the word. The point of this passage is not this external action. The point of this passage is that we must recognize the importance of the scriptures and act accordingly by reading the word, by, by listening carefully and, and, and closely to what God is revealing to us and ultimately repenting of our sins, seeking to obey the Lord in all areas of our lives. And so let me encourage you to listen attentively when we read the scriptures. Uh, when you read the scriptures, listen attentively to what God is saying to you because we honor the Lord by paying close attention to his word. You know, there is a major problem that is going on in America today. Uh, and this, is, this problem is considered to be, it's, it's called the, the other drug problem. The other drug problem. And millions of Americans, what, what, what's happening is that these, these Americans are not taking their medication properly. Or they quit taking it altogether. And the consequences of, of that action, it can be deadly. On average, about half the patients in America with chronic illnesses like heart disease or asthma, they, when they skip, they skip doses and sometimes they mess up their medication. And this new report that has come out concludes that these people with initially symptom-free diseases are at most risk. Uh, for instance, just 51% of high blood pressure patients stick with their medicine as pres prescribed. Just 51%. An example of this is there was a man who stopped taking his cholesterol-lowering medication, and later he would need open-heart surgery because he stopped taking this medication. In this report, it estimates that this drug problem, it can be costing the country over $177 billion in medical bills and lost productivity. This problem, it stems from people not wanting to read the, like the reams of, of paper that come on like the, 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 the medication pack. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. There's so much paper, and they either don't want to read it, or it just confuses them, and they, they, they just don't want to take the time to try to understand it. And so others, they, they also forget to just take their medication in general, or they start feeling better, and they just toss the bottle out the window and say, hey, I'm good, I'm done. And so this study has shown that even doctors will mess up and, and take their own prescriptions just 79% of the time. The FDA, it's studying this problem, and it hopes to achieve better compliance through simpler drug labels so, and getting some ads about the dangers of not taking prescribed medication. But it's this problem. But just as taking, uh, regularly, regularly taking medication, just as that is essential for our physical health, the habitual intake of scripture is important for our spiritual health. 
if we are not devoted to the reading of God's word, if we just set that to the side and forget about it, we, I would ultimately argue that we're not devoted to God. You know, it's, it's simply inconsistent to not spend time with God, but also expect to spend eternity with him. It is inconsistent to not spend time with God, but expect to spend eternity with him. We have to be in the word to get to know him, to, to gain knowledge of God in our, and grow in our faith in Christ. That's why this book is so important. It's so important. But this leads us to our second point for today. Not only should we devote ourselves to the reading of God's word, we should also devote ourselves to the studying of God's word. When we read the Bible, we, we should also seek to understand what it says in a deeper way. We, we shouldn't just read it and then check off our spiritual uh, gift or spiritual uh, checklist uh, when we read it. But we should read it in a careful, in, in, in an intentional way. We should ask questions when we read it. We should seek to understand the context of what we're reading. We should notice patterns in the text like repetition and, uh, of words and phrases. So we shouldn't just read the Bible, but we should study the Bible. When we don't rightly seek to understand the Bible, it can get us in a lot of trouble. You know, there, there, I want us to realize something that's, that it can be really serious and scary at times. Satan knows our Bibles better, is, better than most Christians. And I would argue, and I would even dare to say that, that Satan knows the Bible better than many of us in this room. It's, 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 it's a scary thing to know that. And because he takes the Bible, he, he takes just this little hint of truth and then lies. That the, the basis of the best lies are rooted in just a little bit of truth, and that's what Satan does. He takes just a little bit of truth, and then he spreads his lies. And, and, we, and he's been doing this since the beginning in Genesis 3, he, he twists God's words to Adam and Eve and, and causes them and tempts them into sin. He does the same to Jesus when he tempts him in the wilderness, wilderness in Matthew 4. And that's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that the word of God, it's the, it's the only offensive weapon we have in this fight against Satan. So we need to study God's word. We need to be in this book so much that, that, that we can understand it. So when, when, when all of these lies come in, we know we can open up and say, no, this is what the word of God says. That's why it's so important. When we look back at the story of Joshua, we see in the passage that we're going to read, the Israelites, they're, they're, they're about to enter the promised land. You know, their leader, Moses, who has been their leader for 40 plus years, he died. And so God, he, he comes up to this man named Joshua, who has been Moses' assistant for many years, who has been kind of the general of the armies leading them into battle. He, he's going to try to fill this void of leadership. And so listen to what God tells Joshua here, because Joshua does not feel adequate in this situation. God says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all according to the, to, to do according to the law, all that the, my servant Moses has commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. But in this passage, God, he is encouraging Joshua to stand up, be strong, and be courageous in the face of the battles that are about to come because God is going to be with him wherever he goes. But there's one qualifying remark that God makes in this. One statement that, 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 that hinges the success of the Israelites. And it's that they would, they, they would keep the scriptures at the forefront of all that they would do. You know, God, he, he says at the second part of verse 7 through 8, do not turn from it to the right hand or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all, to, to do according to all that is written in it. For then I will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Just as keeping the scripture, keeping the scripture, it is the main thing in, in, Joshua, in Joshua's life. It's what would cause Joshua and the Israelites to have success as they go into the promised land and they conquer so many different cities. But there were times during this conquest that, that they would mess up. They, they set the things of God to the side and then they would fail. They took their eyes off of God and and in Joshua 7, you see the sin of Achan. It would need to be rooted out. The people, they, they, they were to keep the scriptures at the forefront of all that they did. That was what they were, that's, that's what they were told to do. And the same, it's true for us today. We, we are to place the word of God at the center of our lives each day in order to grow our faith in order to walk with our God, we must take the time to study the Word of God. There's a guy named uh, Donald Whitney, and he, he provides a very helpful analogy of what this would look like. And you may have been wondering why there's a glass of water just sitting here. But what I have in my hand, it's, it's, it's a glass of water. It's supposed to be hot water. It's been sitting there for a while. So it's more lukewarm water at the moment. But in this analogy, our minds are like this glass of hot water. You know, there's, there's, there's really nothing here. It's filled, but there's really nothing special about it right now. Every glass of water is the same. But when we take the Word of God, and the Word of God in this analogy is going to be a tea bag, all right? When we dip it in here, when we read our scriptures, the water is now infused a little bit with that tea. And as we read the Bible and we dip it in a little bit more each time, the word of God starts to seep into this water, starts to change it. But the thing is, when we, when, when we look to study the word, when we fully immerse the word of God into our lives, this tea, it starts to change the water. The longer we leave it in, the more the water gets changed, the more the water gets infused with the tea. And so, so as that, I'll just leave it here. It'll, it'll get, hopefully, if it's lukewarm water, but we'll see. But as the longer we leave that in there, the longer we meditate on the word, it's, it's just like this, this tea bag that's changing the water here. When we, as believers, 
start to regularly meditate on the scriptures, when we start to put the scriptures into our lives, it's, it's, like, it's like this, this tea bag. It's, it's changing us. It, 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 just as the tea is coloring the water, so the word of God, it colors our thinking. So when, when we meditate on the scriptures, it, 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 it colors the way our minds think about God, about the way <laughs> that God interacts with the world, our relationship with him, ourselves, to the point where when we are in the word so much and it has changed us so much, we do not look like what we once were. We are to be changed as believers. We are to not look like the world. We're to be different, set apart. That's our goal as believers in Christ. So this is what it looks like when we devote ourselves to the study of God's word. We begin to be changed and transformed by the words on those pages. Just as God said to Joshua, do not turn from it, do not depart from it, neither should we. If we seek to be genuine followers of Jesus Christ, we must be devoted to the study of this book. We must be devoted to the study of God's word. And so when we read and we study the scriptures, that's what we, that we, we devote ourselves to that. And we, but there's one other qualifying thing that we need to do in our lives. And it's that we should be devoting ourselves to the trust of God's word. Now, what do I mean by that? When I, when I say trust here, there are many people who study the, the, the Bible on a regular basis, just such as scholars uh, who seek to understand the nuances of what the words on these pages really mean. However, there are probably just as many people who study the word of God, but they do not, uh, they do not believe it. They do not trust it. They, they study the Bible with the goal of hoping to prove it wrong. There's many of those people in the world, and these individuals, they're not changed by the words that are written on the pages of Scripture. They read it to try to prove it wrong. And so as believers, when we devote ourselves to the reading and to the studying of God's word, we should also be devoting ourselves to the scriptures because we believe that what is in those pages is the source of truth. We believe that the Bible is without error and we, we trust it and we, we see that it is useful for every area of our lives. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is prof profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we look at Scripture, we should trust that this book right here is truth. And here's why we can trust that what is written in these pages is truth. It's that, 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 that Scripture, it's inspired, it's inerrant, and it's infallible. Now, I know those are really big words, uh, but they're very important words here. If we stray from the, the words written on the pages of the Bible, we have strayed from our faith. We have strayed from God. And that is when, we, uh, when, when we're left to, to being tossed to and fro by, by every worldly doctrine. That's what happens when we stray from these pages. So what these big words mean and why they're important, it's essential that we understand. So first, when we look at the word inspired, we understand that God's word is inspired. God is the author of the Bible. Now, there are two authors <coughs> to every part of the Bible. 
First, the human author. Second, the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God. It, it comes from God. He is the source. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, <clears throat> but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But the helper, and then this is John, <clears throat> excuse me, John 14 says this, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So with this being said, when we look at these three passages, we see that Scripture is the inspired word of God given to man and made perfect through the Holy Spirit. That is what it means to be inspired. Additionally, not, Scripture is not only inspired, but it is inerrant, meaning that the, the Bible is without error. <clears throat> Listen to the second point of the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Holy Scripture being God's own word, written by men, prepared and superintended by the Holy Spirit, is, infallible, is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. And it, and it is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. So when we read Scripture, we can trust it because it is without error. Through the works of the Holy Spirit in the lives of men, Scripture is without error. But not only is the Word of God inerrant, it's infallible. The Bible, it's incapable of error. We know that God's Word is incapable of error because God himself is incapable of error. God is perfect, and so is his revelation of himself. We either believe this or we cannot believe the Word. Another way of saying this is that God's will accomplishes exactly what God wants it to. Isaiah 55:11 says, and this is God speaking, "So shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it." What God has purposed, it shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. Meaning that the scriptures, they were created to be the source of truth that all the people of God could rely on. <clears throat> and it, it's for that reason that we as believers, we can trust the words that are written on these pages. We can trust that they're good, and we can trust that they're beneficial for true life in Christ. And so when we understand that the Bible is trustworthy, we, we can begin to just rely on this book wholeheartedly. But not only do we, do we understand that it's trustworthy, we must also understand and learn to trust that God's word will be the guiding light in our walk with Christ in our everyday life. So we have to first trust that it's true, and then we have to trust that this word is going to lead us. <clears throat> let, me, let, me, let me just tell you a little story. Each summer, I, I take about a week off and I go do camping ministry. Um, I, I absolutely love camping ministry. Uh, it is a big part of my story and how I ultimately uh, came to know Christ. And so each summer I go and I help direct a week of camp. Um, during that week, I generally have anywhere from 20 to 40 middle school students, uh, which is crazy, and I, and I oversee them for the week, uh, plan out all of the activities, uh, do all of the, uh, the Bible teaching. That's one of my responsibilities. We do what is called Bible interactions for the students uh, that is based on the theme for that summer. 
And so something that I like to do with my wife, uh, Janine, she comes with me and she helps me direct, is we like to do the, like a fun activity with our Bible interaction. And the, way we, what, the reason for that is because we want to help our students better understand what has been taught. We want them to be able to, to, to gain a deeper understanding of why it's relevant, how they can apply it to their lives. And so we try to do something with that that ties into the lesson. And this past summer, one of the activities that we did uh, for our Bible interaction time was we decided that we were going to blindfold all of our students and we were going to send them into a maze. Um, that might sound a, a, little, a little mean, but that's what we did. We blindfolded them and sent them into a maze. And Janine and I, we set up this maze um, in this old log chapel from like the 1800s. Super old. And what we did was we took all of the pews and, and we made this giant maze within this chapel. And as the students were waiting outside, we, we, we went out and we gave them this instruction. You're going to be blindfolded and you're going to be sent into this maze. And the goal is for you to find the way to the exit. If you find yourself in need of help or uh, you get stuck, raise your hand and either Janine, myself, one of the counselors, they will come and they will give you a hand. And so at that point, we decided to blindfold our students and we sent them into the maze. Um, but as soon as they entered the maze, they already lost. Instead of a maze, Janine uh, and I, we set up basically a labyrinth. And what I mean by this is, in this log chapel, there were dead ends, there were places where you doubled back, and it was basically a complete loop. So once you entered this maze, you, you couldn't get out. And additionally, once they went in, all the students were in this chapel, we also closed off the door so they could not come back out the way they came in. Now you may be wondering, why would we tell our students that there is an exit and a way out of this maze when there wasn't? Well, even though that there was no way out of this maze, there, there was a way out. And in fact, I actually told these kids how they were to get out when I, uh, when, when I gave my instructions for the maze. I said, you will be blindfolded and the goal is to find your way to the exit. And if you find yourself in need of help or you get stuck, raise your hand and either myself, Janine, or one of the counselors will be there to help you out. One of the, I, I'm over there taking the blindfold off one of the, one, of the, one of the kids. But while these kids were roaming this maze, completely blindfolded, um, the counselors and Janine and myself, we were, we were walking around and we were telling the kids, hey, if you get stuck, if you need help, raise your hand and someone would be there to help you. We, we kept walking around doing this and eventually we started having students raise their hand, realizing that they could not do it on their own. And so we would go over to them, take their blindfold off, and lead them out of the maze. The point of this exercise, it, it was to show our students that when we are going through our lives without Christ, it's like roaming around a maze blindfolded. Because of our sin, we have been separated from God to the point of darkness, that we are in darkness because of, our, because of our sin, there is no way out of this, this, this journey of life that we have. But when we realize that there's no escape from sin, when we realize that, that this sin that so easily entangles 
uh, and, and we're trapped, we, we can also recognize the one who says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way out. And so when we can raise our hands and we can repent of our sins and give our lives to Christ, he comes in and he leads us out of this labyrinth that we, we find ourselves in and into the light. So why do I tell you this story? Why do, I, why do I tell you this story? Well, listen to what John writes in 1 John, 5, or 1 John 1, 5 through 7. <clears throat> he says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is, the light, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we are genuine followers of Jesus Christ, we walk in the light of Christ. However, if we continue to walk in sin, we are in the dark, and the light of Christ has never truly shined in our lives. You know, I take you back to that, 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 that day in the chapel with all of these students walking around. We eventually had to stop the exercise after about 10, 15 minutes. And we had roughly 10, 12 students that were still wandering because they were dead set on not raising their hand and getting help. They were dead set on it. They would not accept it. The thing is, they could have been wandering in there forever, separated from the one who could provide help. And that's the same thing that we experience in life. So how do we know when we're walking in the light? How do we know when we're following after Christ? Well, first, we take the time to repent of our sins, and we remove ourselves from the temptations of this world. And second, we continue to grow in our relationship with Christ through prayer, as well as our trust that the word of God, it will continue to lead us out of those dark places. It will continue to lead us out of the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist writes, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When we give our lives to Christ, we are to trust that these scriptures are truth. We are to, we are, we, we, when we choose not to read the word of God, we are left wandering in the dark, left to our own devices. Where there is no light, there is darkness. And, you know, there, there may be times where we forget to pick, our, pick, pick this book up in a day and we forget to... To, to go and do our reading. It happens. I, I mess up, and I, there are times that I rush through my day. I wake up late, and I, just, I, I know I'm going to run late for work, so I jump up, and I rush to, rush to the church. And I forget to spend time with God. It, it happens. It does. But the problem, however, it, it, the problem is when we decide that we're not going to spend time in the Word at all. You know, when that becomes part of our everyday reality, Oh, I'm just going to wake up, I'm going to get dressed, I'm going to go to work, come back, I'm going to do whatever it is I want to do, and then go to sleep. When that becomes our reality and we don't spend any time in this word, that we are relying on ourselves. We say, hey, this thing right here, it's not important. We say, I am going to just go into this life with, with what I'm going to do, because I know what's best. This book, it teaches us every day. You could have read this 
10, 20 times in your life, through and through. But every time you pick up this book, God is going to teach you something different. God is going to teach you what you need to hear in this moment of your life. You might not even realize it at that time. It's so important. It is our guiding light. And if we're not spending time in the Word, we're lost. And if you're here today and you hear these words, knowing that, hey, my Bible at home, it's up on the bookshelf just for show, it's collecting dust. You know, if you're here today and you hear that, please know that I'm I'm not trying to attack you, but if you feel uncomfortable, maybe that's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you right now, saying, hey, this is something for you. Maybe you take that book down off the shelf, give it a good old dusting, and open it up for the first time this year. Maybe not even this calendar year. Maybe the, since last year of 2023. Open that book. It's the anchor point for how we relate to Christ. Let me say what I said earlier. It is inconsistent for us to not have time for God and think that we still are going to spend eternity with him. How many of us are going to go home today thinking, oh yeah, this is a great point. I'm going to, I'm going to read my Bibles today. I'm going to get it out. I'm going to dust it off. But how many of us are going to actually do that? You know, I'm not saying, hey, you got to listen to me because I'm the guy up on stage. No, I don't care about any of that. But does this change you? Because the word of God should change us every single moment of our lives. And if we're not going to take the time out of our day to be changed by Christ, what are we doing? What are we living for? God is the most wonderful thing that we can have in our lives. And the way that we grow in our faith and our our relationship with him is by reading this book. Please, just take the time to just pick up the book for, for 10 minutes because it is essential for our lives as a believer. We cannot be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ and leave this to just collect dust. Can't do it. As we close today, I, I, wanna, I came across this article while I was reading this week, and it, it really shocked me in, in this sense. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a very short article, and it's in, in this magazine called Live Science. And it's about this kid named Adrian, and he is a high school student. He's, he's from France. He's a, he's a high school student who is very into science. And he was in this article because... He wanted to set out to bridge the gap between science and Christianity. He wanted to, he wanted to do this, and in order to do this, he went ahead and he transcribed parts of the Hebrew Bible, and what he did is he put it on a sheet of paper, and what happened was he took that sheet of paper, and he got this like medical equipment stuff, and he broke this piece of paper down into like DNA strands. I don't get how you do that. I was not a good science student, but he did this with equipment that he got off the internet. Um, And this equipment is designed to create viruses that sneak into DNA strands and into cells and to change things for gene editing purposes. Again, I don't understand how all that works. But when Adrian did this, he, he, he took those strands of DNA from the transcribed parts of the Bible and he, he uh, got the little syringes and he injected them into both of his thighs. All right? Terrible, I know. But Adrian, this is, why, this is why he said he did this. 
He said, I did this experiment for the symbol of peace between religions and science. I think that for a religious person, it can be good to inject himself with religious text. Now, Adrian, he, he said he didn't uh, experience many like, major side effects with this or any significant health problems. Um, he just reported having some inflammation around the injection sites for a few days. I tell you this story because what would it look like for us to be that devoted to Scripture? Now, I don't mean that we should go home and we should inject ourselves with people or parts of the Bible. That's not what I mean. But what would it look like to be so devoted to this book that it's a very part of us? What would it look like for us to, to, to say, hey, I know this book so well that it's like it's a part of me right now? What would it look like to take the time out of our day to read, to study, and to trust that what we read and study is going to help guide us in our everyday lives? What would it look like? What would that look like for us to meditate on these scriptures every single day and understand that our relationship with God is going to blossom from our time doing this? So as we leave here today, may we be a people who are so devoted to the scriptures that it actually becomes a part of who we are. May we be a people who take the time to read and to study and to trust that God's word, it's beneficial for all areas of our lives. May we be a people who spend time with God knowing that we will be blessed to spend eternity with him. That's what it means to have an unwavering devotion to, to God's word and to the study of God's word. That's what it looks like to, to look at this book and say, this book, it, it tells a story that is bigger than me. It tells a story about a God who has so radically changed the world because he's loved us so much. It tells a story about a God who sent his only son to die for you and for me. It tells the story of what it looks like for us to be truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ. May we be a people who, who are, uh, um, have an unwavering devotion to this book. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You have provided so many ways for us, a sinful people, to continue to get to know you every single day. God, may we leave this place today and actually be changed. Not based on anything that Evan said, but that we are changed based on your word and your truth. That we can see through the pages of scripture that, that this book is important. That you tell your people to, to meditate, it on, uh, meditate on it daily and to not turn from it. Because when we do, we're left to our own devices to, to figure it out. Just as Joshua meditated on this book to, to guide his paths through the battles that he faced, God, may we be a people who each day take the time to study, to read, to trust this word. So that when we face the battles of life, we don't go in and unprepared, 
but that we have the, the only source of truth that can fight the lies of Satan and the lies of this world. So God, be with us now, Lord. Father, as we are about to take this offering today, Lord, I pray that this offering is not about us, not about any staff member that is here, Lord, but that these funds will be used to advance to your kingdom. May these funds, may, may they be directed in places that we don't even know how they're going to be directed to yet, but may they glorify you in all things. God, thank you for the people that you have brought here today who have generous hearts for you, Lord. Be with us now, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.